We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Game predictions, Brian. Some headlines. Yeah, what, yeah. What I, I think um, I think this is going to be an interesting one. I did not get the uh, graphs ready for this one, Ryan. So Uh-oh. I'm going to go ahead and try to get those <laughs> ready real quick. But I believe I know what your score was. I think you sent that to me earlier, correct? I did. Yep, so, I emailed it to you. Correct. Yes. So we are we are somewhat on the same page on that. So, uh, but we can kind of get started on it, Ryan. Obviously, I'll have these ready here. Uno momento. Actually, you know what? The way that this thing has been jacked up lately probably won't even let me pull the cards up anyway. So you know what? Forget it. We're just gonna go with it today. So as as you guys always know, when we do these predictions, we kind of give our prediction. We talk about how we think the game is gonna play out. We hand out game balls, and then we kind of talk about storylines. So. Uh, Let's do it, Ryan. So I want to kind of first yeah. get your thoughts on, on um, first and foremost, what your score is and how you see the game playing out. So I had 34 to 14 Notre Dame in this one. I actually think this is the unfortunate of just, I guess, the the Clemson game still sitting with me a little bit and a couple other games sitting with me as far as not starting fast is I have a feeling that this one's going to be like annoyingly close in the first quarter, like eking into the second quarter where you're just like, guys, you're better than this team, man. Like just put the pedal to the metal and just do this already. And then I think somewhere in the second quarter, then into the second half and, and especially down the stretch, you're just like, all right, that game was never in doubt. Right. So like mm-hmm. a little bit of slow start in the first quarter, Notre Dame puts the foot to the gas eventually somewhere in the second quarter and they end up winning by 20 points. And I think that ultimately this game could be a little bit more lopsided. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 34 to seven and there's, you know, Notre Dame's backups in at the end of the game. And that's kind of what, you know, maybe like a similar to an NC state game that we saw where it's like, you know, that last touchdown, did it really count? Like, do we really have to count that one? Yeah. So I think 34 to 14 Notre Dame is able to make enough plays in the passing of game. Again, I'm not here that to, to tell everyone that I think it's going to be a full fix offensively, but I think it will start to show a little bit of growth in the past game. I actually think that Notre Dame might come out and be a little bit more aggressive in the passing game because we've seen that against some of the worst teams Notre Dame has played right. that they're kind of like, you know, well, yeah, we're going to we're going to open it up a little bit to start the game. So 34 uh, 14 
Notre Dame's defense is dominant for the large portion of the game. They're clean for the most part, force a turnover or two, and it's just a dominating victory that could be more lopsided. But again, offensively for Notre Dame, still in show me mode. Still in show me mode. Yeah. I'm not going to predict the 50 spot because it just hasn't been incredibly consistent, but they certainly could put down a 50 spot if they're rolling the right way. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, well, 50 spots definitely haven't been consistent, but I, I do think that the, in these games, they've shown that they're a 40 point team. I mean, that, that, that just, that's the reality of it. And that's the, that's honestly the maddening part about the whole thing, Ryan, is that they have shown that they can be that kind of team. And and I think you mentioned you know Pitt being a, a a comparable type of opponent, and I believe that it that it is. I I've got forty five to six. I, oh, sorry, I, I jumped the gun. Game balls, Ryan. First, who you get your games ball? Get your game balls. Well, I already said I think the passing attacks can be a little bit better for Notre Dame, so it's got to go to Sam Hartman, right? And the mm-hmm. Wake Forest comes to town, a big game like that. You're obviously playing against a team that you spent five seasons on. I think that Sam Hartman will be set up for more success this year than what he had uh, this week, excuse me, than what he has in previous weeks. I think Sam Hartman offensively gets the game ball defensively. I think that this is going to be a game where Notre Dame is able to really stifle anything at the line of scrimmage. So give me a Riley Mills game this week. Okay. I usually pick Howard Cross, but give me a Riley Mills game as far as He's just more physically imposing than any mm-hmm. interior offensive lineman they have. Like Michael Jurgens' kids is probably their best interior player inside, but Riley Mills has a substantial advantage from a talent perspective over anybody on the Wake Forest interior. So give me Riley Mills, kind of an unsung hero, maybe a couple tackles for loss, a big game for Riley. And biggest storylines for you, what are the couple biggest storylines that you see coming out of this game if Notre Dame wins this football game? Um, I, I don't think it's anything new, unfortunately. I think that you're going to say that Notre Dame offensively was better, a little bit more assertive in certain instances. But the I think the biggest storyline is going to continue to be 
Notre Dame's offense looks just a little bit different against the worst teams that they play on their schedule for whatever reason. So I think mm-hmm. it's just going to be continued of. I think people are still going to leave this game, Brian, because I think the offense is going to be better, passing game especially. But I still think people are going to leave this game and say, but why can't we do this and be more creative against the right. Clemsons, against right. the Ohio States, against some of these other teams that we want to – the Louisvilles of the world. Why does it look stagnant against – the better defense you play and a lot crisper against the teams that you should beat. I, that's kind of the, so I think that the storyline is going to stick, unfortunately. So my, my prediction, Ryan, 45 to six uh, was my prediction. I jumped the gun on that a little bit. Here's kind of where I'm at with this game. Say, well, how can you predict Notre Dame to win like this? I'm like, well, this is not a stretch. We've seen them against teams like Wake Forest, 42 to three over Navy, 56 to three over Tennessee State, uh, 45 24 over, over NC State, who's a much better football team than, than what than what Wake Forest is, 41 17 over Central Michigan, 48 20 over USC, and then 58 to seven over Pitt. So in these games, Notre Dame has, to your point, because I think your storyline is in line with why I'm predicting what I'm predicting, which is why don't they do this in the other games? You know, I've reached out to people. Apparently it was a, you know, really high energy week of practice, which is good, you know, so at least they're not going through the motions. I've talked to a couple different sources about that, that there's a little bit of chip on the shoulder. They want to finish strong and all that. And it's fine to say that, but I need to see it. Right. And then the other part too, is the last two, uh, the last two senior days have been home games against not very good ACC teams. And their name has destroyed both of them. You know, they beat Georgia Tech 55 nothing two years ago. I think this Wake Forest team's better than that Georgia Tech team. Uh, and and I think they're better than what than what BC looked like last year. BC was better than what Notre Dame did to them last year. I mean, they were coming off a road win over NC State. Notre Dame just played with fire on senior day. I mean, they just came out early and just oh, what did they do, Ryan? They overwhelmed them up front, right? I mean, and and uh, got the early pick because of the pressure, and, and then they just rolled them. And I see it being similar to that. I think the defense is a big reason why I see this being a blowout. I think the offense will play well. I think Sam Hartman's going to play well. I think he's going to be yeah. focused against Wake Forest. I mean, he's you know how many throws he's made against this secondary in his life. You know, like well, I mean, <laughs> thousands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, he's playing these kids in practice and seven on sevens and individual workouts and all that other kind of stuff. Like he knows these guys, he's going to want to go out with a bang. I think he'll probably be a little bit amped up early, but I think he's going to settle in and, and really thrive. And, and I think you're going to see the Notre Dame offense play well. I think they're going to run the ball effectively. I think they're going to hit some plays in the pass game. And I think they're going to put them away early and they're going to be aided by the fact that they're going to need a lot of short fields. It's going to look to me a lot like the BC game last year. And, um, and I'm only going with six because, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the, there's going to be a lot of snaps against the backup Notre Dame defense. I would not be shocked if they shut Wake Forest out. I won't, uh, but I'm going to give Wake a. I'm going to give Wake six in this game. I'd say you could even give him seven. I mean, you know, but I, I'm going six in this game. So I don't think this is going to be an overly competitive game. I won't be shocked if what you said comes to be true, which is why'd you let him around? Like you get some early garbage yeah. touchdown because they turn a guy loose, something like that. Like I could see, like come on, guys, like what are you doing? You know, where you, right. you like, that's the things for me is you, you're trying to play hero ball. So I'm going to try to go make a play instead of like, like what Xavier Watts has been so good at this year is his turnovers where he's making a play. He's been so brilliant because he's making plays within this framework of what they're doing. He's not freelancing. Yeah. 
It's do your job. So you're there when the ball gets overthrown and you're there to pick it off because you didn't bite too hard trying to make a play. You did your job, you know, and then when you get a chance to go undercut a route because that's your job, you go do it. And so what's made this defense so good is they play about as good a team defense as we've seen at Notre Dame since probably 2012. I'm not saying they're as dominant as that defense, but that defense was good because everybody just did their job. And then your stars would kind of step up and make some plays. I don't know that this defense has as many stars as that defense did, especially up front. There's no Stephon Tuitt on this team. You know, there's no Manti at linebacker. I'd say the secondary is a lot better than what that 2012 secondary was. Uh, but they, it's just everybody doing your job. And if they still do that in this game, it won't be close. If they don't, then I could see, like you said, just a couple garbage touchdowns. You were like, guys, what are we doing here? You know, and you just let them hang around. But you're never, you're never worried that they're going right. to lose. You're just like, okay, yeah. you blew them out a little later than you expected. But I, I actually sure. think they come out and put this game away early. I think the veterans are going to come out locked in. And, and again, because we saw it last year, you know, in the, in the year before that. We've seen it now two years in a row. So the combination of they've just done this to teams like that all year, you know, predicting 45 to six. I, I'm actually going to change. I'm going to go 45 seven. It, it's, it's okay. They're going to just keep doing what they've been doing all year. It's mm-hmm. that's what it's going to be. And, and what they've done the last two senior days. So I'm going 45 seven. Uh, if that happens, Ryan, you and I are on the same page game ball wise on offense. Sam Hartman, and yep. and I just I just think, I just I just feel like he's going to kind of go out with a bang at home, and he's played well at home for the most part at Notre Dame. Yep. He has, yes, and yes. so I think he's going to play well and get the game ball. Uh, I would like it to go to like maybe a, a Jeremiah Love, a Tobias Merriweather, like one of those guys that we're just praying breaks out but i think that, that means there's an expose, a couple explosive plays right. that are probably attached right that. yeah i get that right I get that. but i still yeah. think at the end of the day the trigger man's going to be the one that you look at and say oh, what a great read what a great throw and right and those guys did their job so um that's kind of where i'm going to go out defensively you know i'm just this is more wishful thinking than an actual prediction i'm going to go jordan Batelho because it's wishful thinking and hoping that the light finally goes on for him and he finally starts making plays. I, I have no reason to believe it's going to happen. Like my overall prediction, Ryan, is kind of in line with what we've seen from Notre Dame against this kind of team and on senior day. This is the one where I'm kind of going on a limb and saying, I have no evidence to make this pick. I'm just, you know, hoping that it that it does. Um and it and Jordan Patejo makes a couple of big, I mean, I could see like a strip sack, you know, something like that, where bats a ball that Xavier Watts comes flying. Like I could see something like that, that he tries to throw a quick route. Jo- Jordan gets great pressure, tips it up. Next thing you know, Xavier or Cam or Benjamin or somebody comes flying downhill, picks it off and runs it back. Like I wouldn't be shocked if we get a defensive touchdown in this game as much as they put the ball in a tough spot. So that kind of factors a little bit into my prediction as well is that I could, I could see them getting a, a defensive touchdown and a short field touchdown that could make it even worse than 45 to seven. Like I could really see them landing on him, but I I'm going to comfortably go 45 just because I do think wake, you know, has a couple kids on the back end that could in, in a pass rusher. Like that's the one thing Pitt didn't have Pitt didn't yeah. have that guy that could just go win on the edge against Blake Fisher and get a key sack on third down. Like they They're didn't have that approach. Yeah. 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 Where Wake has that guy, and you're always a little better when you have that guy. You know the the yep. the the kid, they, the edge kid that they have can be that kind of guy. What's he thirty? I think he's number thirty. Number thirty, right? Davis. Um, yep. 
And he had some really nice wins early against Wake against uh, Florida State. I mean, he had some really nice edge wins early because Florida State actually, like, they hit some big plays, but they had some negatives early too, and a lot of it was because of, you know, the, the blitzes that they saw from the linebacker level, and then 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 number thirty coming off the edge and, and having some really good edge wins because at times too they'll go like super wide and rush off wide, and that kid closes the gap on tackles in a hurry off the edge in those situations. So I could see like, you know, a couple plays like that happening early, maybe, uh, which is why I'm not going full pit. Cause again, Ryan pit 58 to seven, that's with Notre Dame with like basically two red zone turnovers. (laughs) I mean, like it could have been way worse than that. I think, I think, I think wake is going to be a little bit more stout defensively in, in, in some of those plays, but I just think ultimately Notre Dame's talent wins over, I think the big thing for me I want to see is how does the, the the make the new look offensive line play, especially if Ashton Craig plays over Zeke Carell because Zeke's not that he's going to play over him like he's beat him out, but I know Zeke's – I don't know that I, – I actually, I, I think Sean Sean uh, Styers wrote a story that I need to publish once we're done uh, about game that game. Decision, right? Game time decision, game decision. Yeah. yeah um, so, you know, in a lot of instances, that's kind of – you end up not playing them, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. But if we do see Ashton Craig, and, and if we do see Zeke, I would imagine if Notre Dame does jump out kind of early, that we see Zeke come off and and yeah. you put Ashton in, which would be smart. Like if, if he does play and you're able to get him through the first, let's say you get into the second quarter and, and you're up 21 nothing, take him out. You know, right. take him out. Don't don't run the risk of of him getting hurt again and and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, it's the perfect game to do it too because yeah. Wake Forest is not a great interior defensive line. I would be much worried about like if an offensive tackle is making his first start against Jasheen Davis. Like that's where I'd be right. like, oh, that's not a great matchup to start. Right. But against right. Wake Forest interior, I think you'd yeah. be okay. I think you'd be okay. Yeah, like like you're saying, like if Blake Fisher was banged up and you were going to start Emil Wagner, and you're like, oh boy. Yeah, he's, he's got that Davis kid the whole game. Like, yeah. yeah. And and that other kid they have on the other sides, not number was a number five. That they'll bring yep. off the edge as well. He's not half bad either, Ryan. I mean, they they they've got a decent they've got a decent you know type of of uh, of pressure points there. But you know they're really small up the middle. Their two inside guys are like what two eighty two eighty five. Their starters. I mean, they're small. You should be able to to thrive in that regard. So um, I I just think that that that's that's where I'm at. I think the biggest storyline is going to be. Again, this is more. This is part of my wishful thinking than a prediction per se. My my hope is that the storyline is: Hey, the young kids on offense finally got the ball and they really stepped up. Jaden Greathouse finally got back on track. Look what they did with Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price. Oh, they finally threw the ball to Tobias like they did against Pitt. It was too, you know, it was late, but then they finally did. He smoked the dude, right? I mean, you know. So that's my hope is that that's the storyline offensively coming out of this game is that the young guys. Are, are more involved in having stuff designed for them and are given chances to make plays. Because if they, like, I feel like every time they've been given those chances, they've made the plays. I mean, you know, especially in the last in recent games, it's just they're sure. just not getting the ball and not giving those opportunities. And so, especially the running back. So I want to see that. And then, biggest storyline defensively is just going to be a continuation of just how good this defense is and just how dominant this defense has been all year and appreciation for it. And, and I do think this is going to be the last game for like Cam Hart and JD Bertrand and Jack Kaiser and DJ definitely is for DJ Brown 
And, and I think those kids are going to go out with a bang. I, I think that's, I'm more concerned about the offense not being locked in than I am the defense. I'm, I'm honestly not overly concerned with the D. I really think these kids are going to come out and, and play hard. And it doesn't mean they won't make a couple mistakes trying to play hero ball because hero ball isn't not playing hard. Sometimes it's playing a little too aggressively. You're trying to go make a play and just play within the framework of what you're doing. I just have a feeling this defense is going to come out and just play lights out because I think these kids want to leave their mark. I do, I do think there's a lot of kids on defense like J.D. Bertrand and D.J. Brown and Cam Hart that understand – the legacy aspect of being at Notre Dame. Yeah. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to, they're going to handle that well and play well. So that's a big part of, of my thing. And I think that'll be a storyline of man, this defense is boy, this defense. I hope that we as fans can appreciate more and more just how good that unit is be, because I know the team is disappointed a lot in some ways it's masked just how good this defense is. And has been really yeah. all year, Ryan. So those are going to be my really big storylines. Let me ask you this question, Ryan. If this game is a lot closer than we think, where it's genuinely like, you know, like the 2011 game where Notre Dame won 24-17 against a team they should have smoked, uh, wh- what are the what are the two or three things that you could see being the biggest drivers of Notre Dame really struggling in this football game? I mean, one on each side of the ball. One is that the turnover issue continues offensively. Maybe Hartman throws a turnover, uh, an interception or two. Maybe you have a running back fumble at some point in the football game. On the off, on the defensive side, I, I this is my biggest concern that I've talked about a couple times. If Wake Forest is able to get any semblance of a running game, then you're like, oh, man, they're, they're getting more consistent drives and extending drives than you initially thought, and they're getting points on the board, right? So I think – if they're not able to stop the run effectively defensively and they turn the ball over offensively, I think that that's the two biggest areas of concerns to watch on yeah. Saturday. I think the turnovers for me come would come from my big concern, which is the offensive line gets whipped. They have a hard time handling the speed of the wake front and, and the wake throw because they're going to throw a lot of different pressure packages at Notre Dame. They are. And then, the, you know, the, the new the new guys in the lineup don't handle it well, and yeah. Sam's – trying to throw a quick out and gets drilled and the ball floats up in the air because they play so much off coverage that I could see a ball that's tipped like that, having one of their corners flying downhill and stepping in front of it. Um, you know, those those type of things could could be what makes it quick because I don't think Wake has any chance of scoring enough to upset Notre Dame just by putting drives together. It would have to come down to they had two scoring drives that resulted either on short fields or the defense literally just put one in the end zone, like stepping in front of a pass and – returning it for a touchdown, something like that. Right. I think those are the yeah. things that would concern me. It would be something like that. I, I don't see it happening, but but I am a little concerned, and we haven't talked a lot about it, but the I am a little concerned about the if, if they do end up starting Ashton Craig and Billy Shrouth, I am concerned a little bit about that being an area where they're going to go at them. Wake's going to go at them. Right. Hey, let's run a bunch of stunts inside against these guys and, and try to get them to make mistakes. And then those mistakes result in, you know, third and one st- getting stuffed. Sam Hartman getting blindsided, getting hit from behind or getting pressured and forcing a throw that results in a turnover. That's probably my biggest concern in this game is, is that right there because you give Wake cheap, cheap points. And that's how a team can, can have the, the confidence and then and, and you struggle to score enough to blow them out, you know, and that's, that would be my biggest concern in this game. Is which, that right? Which there? ultimately comes back to 
don't beat yourselves on Saturday and you'll be okay. Nope. You'll be okay. So what level of being okay? We'll we'll decipher after the game, but I think their game has a great chance to really dominate this game on Saturday. Yep. So that's our keys to victory. That's our game predictions. I think we have a couple mailbag questions we'll get into next. Yeah, we have a few super chats that we'll get into here as we wrap it up. But um, yep. yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to some super chats today. We're not going to dive into a full mailbag today, but we are going to answer these super chats. Well, we had a super chat from Zach um, Zach thirty two. Thank you so much, Zach. Should Notre Dame run more compressed bunch sets with the receivers in order to make it harder for defenders to play man coverage? We've talked about this before, Ryan. We've been asked this before. Um, At times, yes. At times, yes. You also can't do it all the time because then teams have – there's things they can do to stop that as well. That's one answer. We've talked about others, Ryan. Wide stacks. You know, where, where, where you put guys off wide. We've talked about motions and movements and shifts. Uh, we've talked about mixing up your personnel groupings. You know, I've talked about one thing you can do is not a true bunch, but with your boundary receiver, a reduced split. Because a lot of times when you get into reduced split, teams will back that corner off. And then if they do bring him down, there's certainly some things you can do with your running back out of the backfield, running switches off of that, where you can you can do some things. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do, Zach. And with everything, there's never one answer to that. I mean, number, answer number one is teach them to be better at getting off the line. Let them use more more moves that they've been doing at seven-on-sevens their whole lives. I mean, the fact that that I see Rico Flores and Jaden Greathouse having a re- reduced release package compared to what they did in high school is a problem. It's a problem. You know, the fact that I've seen Tobias Merriweather regress as far as getting off the line from what he was in high school is a problem. Of course, you're playing better players. I'm talking about the, the 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 release tools that they use is what I'm referring to, uh, and uh, those are those are problematic. But even within that, they're not going to all of a sudden become Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams tomorrow, right? Uh, so there are certainly things you can do. There's a lot of different formational things you can do. There's motions, shifts, any any kind of movement. Bunch is an answer. I don't know that it's the primary answer. It's just one of several things that they need to do in order to uh, to loosen those up. Sean, I, I think I mean Zach. I said Sean. I don't know why. I think there's a Sean in the in the comment section. My apologies, Zach. I think that the big thing for me on this question is when I'm talking about bunch sets, it's because I'm trying to maximize releases a lot, and I'm trying to have some like clear out options as far as like bringing guys underneath or crossing guys and and maximizing release points. I think that that has validity to it. I don't think it's necessarily the man coverage aspect, though, because I'm not if I'm I'm actually not concerned with teams playing a bunch of man coverage against Notre Dame. Actually, I think I could pick on them a whole lot more if I do get that. I'm more worried about right now of these stagnant routes and these vertically oriented routes and teams saying, you know, what, we're just going to play cover three and cover four and we're just going to get back in our zones and you have to try to make a play. And I'm not sure Notre Dame makes that right. Like. So press bail is more of my concern with Notre Dame right now or just them sitting in a cover three and just squatting on routes because they're not worried about you winning over top because all you do yeah. is vertically oriented stuff outside. Right. Like, I'm not as worried about the man stuff. I'm more yeah. worried about the creativity in the passing game right now. That's and my concern. have done, Ryan. They just squat on your short game. Just sit and squat on your short game. That's all they do and and take that stuff away. And that that's yeah. a Notre Dame problem. So, yeah. Yes. Good question. Yep, I agree. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Notre Dame has just two games left in the regular season. And this weekend is the home finale against Wake Forest. If you're looking for last-minute tickets to either game or to your favorite concert or comedy club, Game Time is the place for you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's gametime.co. Uh, we had Aiden Benami. Thank you so much. Will you guys be happy if all the coordinators return go Irish? I will be happy if they return Aiden and there's growth that happens. Yes. Mm-hmm. If Jared Parker is, is the coordinator coming back and he has that year two breakout that Al Golden had because he starts to understand what he can do and what he needs to do better at, then yeah, I'm not, I haven't given up on Jared Parker. I think that Jared Parker needs some growth this offseason. There's yep. no doubt. And I think that this offensive coaching staff in general needs a lot of growth and needs to reevaluate the philosophy that they have entrenched in this offense. But I'm not against bringing him back as long as there's like a deep understanding of, hey, this needs to be different. Like that didn't right. work this year. That was not the best version of ourselves. Because I think that we need to remember flashback to one season ago, one offseason ago, this past offseason. A lot of people wanted Al Golden fired, yes. folks. A whole lot wanted him fired, well, and he ended up re- growing. This, this remember this Ryan going into this game, right? This game, this yep. senior year game, game eleven for Notre Dame last year. Same exact situation. Fans freaking out because of how bad they played in the second half against Navy. I want this guy gone. He needs to go. You know all that kind of stuff. Uh, do I want Jared Parker back next season and just say, hey, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing? No, of course not. Uh, would I be fine with Jared Parker coming back? Yeah, I would. At some point in time, you've got to try to establish some level of continuity. Now, I do think there needs to be – there's at least one personnel change I would make on the offensive side of the ball, just just my opinion, and I'm, I'm not going to share that. But I, I'm I'm fine with Jared Parker coming back as long as a couple things happen. Number one – the head coach steps in and says, "Hey, listen, I'm I'm, I'm going to give you guys a little bit more autonomy, but I, you know, I, I'm giving you the freedom to say, hey, let's be on a more aggressive football team, because you are going to be young next year. You, you, there's not enough portal people for you to get for you not to be a, a young football team next year. 
You're just going to be young with a couple veterans that you've added in, you know, but you're going to be young at most places. And so, so what does that mean? Okay. Then you gotta, you gotta turn those guys loose and let them rip a little bit. You, you can't just be this stagnant, stale type of offense. So as long as there's a commitment to growth, like you said, Ryan, and as long as there's a commitment to really looking in the mirror and everything is up for grabs, you know, for what we did run game wise, what we did pass game wise, because you know who else is going to tell you that I that he needs to do better. That Jared Parker needs to do a better job next year and, and a lot better job next year. You know who also is going to tell you that this offseason and mean it? Jared Parker. Sure. You think Jared Parker's happy with how they played against Ohio State and Louisville and Duke and USC? No, he's not. I mean, not USC. I'm sorry, Clemson. No, he's not. Do you yeah. think Jared Parker wants to see the offense they saw against against Pitt and teams like that all the time? Yeah, he does. The question is going to be: Does he have the ability to make those changes? That I don't know, you know. But I'm I'm looking for some continuity. I want to see this football team uh, get an opportunity to grow together. It's like, look, am I happy with the job Joe Rudolph has done this year? No, I'm not. Do I want to see Joe Rudolph fired? No, I don't, because I don't want these kids to have a fourth offensive line coach in four years. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think Joe Rudolph did a good job this year. Just like I didn't think Al Golden did a great job last year. We always felt he did better than some thought, but he did do a great job last year. But we said, let's see now that he's learned the players. He knows the players well. He's more comfortable in his role. He knows what these kids can do. Let's see what he can do in year two. That's all I want to see from Joe Rudolph, you know, and, and say, look, coach, you, you, you learned some things about yourself. You learned some things about these players. Now let's see what you can do in year two. And right. as long as, as long as the continuity, in personnel doesn't come with continuity and philosophy. I don't think you need to overhaul the staff. You need to overhaul the mentality. That's what needs overhauled. Because if you bring in a new offensive coordinator and he's got the same commands from the top that Jared Parker and Tommy Reese had, guess what? It's not going to look a whole lot different. It's not. Like Georgia didn't get a whole lot better when Jim Chaney replaced Mike Bobo, and they didn't get any better when James Coley replaced Jim Chaney. They didn't get better until Kirby Smart, number one, hired Todd Munkin. But why he hired Todd Munkin was the bigger deal. It was because he understood we can't be this ball control, ground and pound offense and beat Bama and beat Ohio State and beat Clemson. We've got to be willing to also go out and score. Now, does Georgia still value protecting the football? Absolutely. Does Georgia still value winning in the trenches? Do you watch that team play? Absolutely. But are they also willing to be aggressive within that framework? Absolutely. Right? Yep. And and when Kirby figured that out, that's when that Georgia team became the best program in college football that could very well win their third straight national title. It's it's that now have they taken a step back on defense? Nope, not at all. They're still great on defense, even with some young players in certain spots. And you know you lose in Jordan Davis one year, you lose Jalen Carter the next. You lose your linebackers one year. You lose I mean some really good linebackers. You lose your you know your veteran corner last year. They lose guys every year, and they just keep rolling because yep. it's a mindset that they have. And it took him a while to figure that out. And I hope it doesn't take Coach Freeman five years to figure it out or four years to figure it out. I hope he figures it out now. But it's not always about finding new people. I talked about this. I've used this example before. The guy that ran the generic pro-style 21 personnel offenses that were a consistent failure at Texas 
with Chris Sims, not because of Chris Sims, but I'm talking about that with they had talent, right? They had Roy Williams and Sloan Thomas, and they had some some really talented receivers back then. But their offenses would always get their butts kicked by Oklahoma because they were trying to run this really stale 21 personnel, you know, offense. Well, then they changed and ran a spread offense. But you know who the offensive coordinator was? Same dude, Greg Davis. They didn't change their offensive coordinator. They said we have it. We need to change who we are, what our philosophy is, how we build around our talent that we have here. And then they went on and became, you know, one of the v, the very best programs for the next five to six years, right? Made two title runs. One, they won. The second one, they didn't. They had some great years from 04 with Vince Young. I still, I mean, we always talk about the game in 05 against USC, but do you remember the Rose Bowl the year before with Texas and Michigan? That was a phenomenal game. Vince Young was great in that game. That was kind of his coming out party a little bit on the national scale. And, um, it, it didn't require them to, to change their staff. The, the, it said, we got to change our philosophy. We got to change our mentality. We got to understand we've got to be this type of team if we want to beat Oklahoma. And they did. And they became the big boys in the Big 12. And so uh, that's going to change because if that doesn't change, but you simply just replace Jared Parker, guess what, guys? He's now become a scapegoat, just like Mike Yersich was for, for James Franklin. Where in reality, he wasn't the problem. And the problem doesn't go away. And so that, to me, is much more important. And then let's see what Jared Parker can do. And if he can't figure it out and can't get it going next year, then you kind of know, right, okay, maybe he's not the guy. And then right. you find out who that is. But for all this talk, like, who's that big-time offensive coordinator that everybody thinks is going to come to Notre Dame this offseason and replace him? And then when they start talking about names, it's a bunch of dudes that get fired. Well, go get the guy that just got fired at Colorado. Why? You know, what about, the, I mean, what about uh, Ken Dorsey? Why? You know, it's like, what makes you think Ken Dorsey is going to want to come to Notre Dame, and why would you fire a guy, hire a guy that just got fired somewhere? You know what I mean? Like, I know there's been guys that have gotten fired that turned out to be great hires, but, like, guys, that's not the answer. The answer is fixing, adjusting who you are now, and then building around your players that you recruited. That's the answer to me. Right. I haven't even looked into, like, the offensive coordinator stuff because it's just, like, people just keep talking about Jared Parker. I'm like, guys, I fully expect Jared Parker to be back next yeah. year. Like, I, I, I'm i not yeah. even in that conversation right now. So, right. Yeah. Right. And then the one guy that uh, people – some people wanted to be hired as the offensive coordinator last year is Jason Candle. There's no reason for him to do that now. I mean, if, I, uh, if I, I'm I, Jason Candle, like, that dude should be, like, trying to get a head coaching job somewhere. I mean, he's I, done I a great job with Toledo. I don't think Jason Candle is ever going to leave Toledo, man. I think he's going to retire at Toledo, which is you think like even if he got like a really big job, like like I I mean, I don't know that I'd count Michigan State as that kind of job because I don't think that's necessarily any. I would want no part of that, but there's definitely some jobs I I could see come open. I I, I get. I guess it's possible maybe if some big big head coaching job opens up, but I've talked to somebody. uh, I have a good source in the Toledo program, and like he's been offered the Miami offensive coordinator job the last two years, and he just. He likes where he is, man. Yeah. It's just like, okay, yeah. interesting. I, I think like if the it, right I head coaching it. opportunity came came along, I, I think that'd be hard to turn down. But like you said, he makes pretty good money at Toledo. I think he makes a couple million dollars. I think he does too. So, um, yeah, he's done a nice job there. But that's why I, I have a buddy of mine who's always like, should they fire this guy, that guy? And I'm like, well, who you replace him with? And and he never has answers. And I'm like, this is what this is how teams get into this problem where they keep recycling coaches in the NFL all the time because they just fire a guy and they don't actually know who you're going to replace them with. And then you realize my job's not as attractive as I thought it was. And now I just right. hired another guy that I'm about to fire in a year. You know what I mean? Like, like Denver went through that for a long time. You know, it's like, yeah, they were couldn't wait to get rid of Gary Kubiak. 
And boy, are they, you know, missing the days of when Gary Kubiak had those disappointing playoff seasons and a you know, a couple Super Bowl runs. You know what I mean? So um, be careful what you wish for because it can get worse. Can get worse. That's why I say the philosophy's got to be, that's got to be the thing that changes. Aiden Benami says, Super Chat again. Thank you so much. What do you guys think is a fair punishment for scum? Of course, talking about the University of Michigan. I mean, for me, Ryan, I, I'm not doling out punishment until we've had a whatever the process is for a hearing and yep. until we've had that, right? I think I'm I'm okay with the Big Ten taking the steps they've taken. We have enough evidence to know that there was a failure for you of you of leadership at the head coaching position and they've suspended him for the three games. As long as they hold that suspension true, that's a good first step. But when it comes down to, you know, what the next steps are, I just, I, I think the process has to be, uh, has to be allowed to play out because the yep. worst thing you can do is say, Hey, they can't play in the big 10 title game or they can't play in the playoff. And then you come to find out like some of the accusations that's weren't necessarily true or, or, right. you know, maybe this guy was doing the, he, he had told the coaches he was getting the information by watching film all 22 film and you know maybe he did have this elaborate lying scheme to them and they didn't know about it i mean they're i I just i I doubt that ryan i highly doubt that very surprised but you you know just and again i I do come down to uh, what i think punishment needs to be and i've said this a bunch of times i'm not a fan of of keeping teams from the postseason because ultimately end up hurting the players what i've always said was fire the people responsible for it and find the crap out of them. You want to hurt a team? You want to get a team to not do You want to get a program to say, we are never doing that again? Hit them in their pocketbook. You know, banning them from a bowl game, not letting them play in a bowl game. Hey, look, if Michigan goes out there and beats Ohio State without Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines, they deserve to play for the Big Ten Championship. They do, unless the process is finished before then, and they come to that. But I'm I'm still a believer – you want to not let them play in the playoff, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I I actually am okay with that because I do think they gained an unfair advantage. Uh, But my thing is, is who would they have lost to up to this point that they wouldn't have lost? You know what I mean? They haven't played in a competitive game yet until Penn State, and they weren't sign-stealing against Penn State. They won't be sign-stealing against Ohio State. Not not that way. They'll be sign-stealing like everybody does, which is the fair way, which is – Get a read on it. You know, talk to the people you know in the coaching profession. That's always been going on. Um, right. But, you know, I'd still let them play in the postseason because I still think that's fair to the players. But you know what they're doing? If you go to a bowl game, guess what, fellas? The money that you that you would – your allotment for playing that bowl game will take care of all your travel like we always do. We'll take care of all your expenses. But all the money that you would otherwise get is going to get distributed to the rest of the league. You're not getting any of it. You're not getting any bowl money. You're not getting any of that stuff. That's how you hurt these people. That's how you get these teams to say, holy crap, they're serious about this. It's not taking kids' chances from playing away. It's not the bullcrap forfeit wins, which changes nothing because those games still happen. Michigan still won them. It's hit them in the pocketbook and fire the people responsible. That's how you do it. Hey, Jim, we love you, but you, you, if you didn't know this, you should have. So you either fired because you knew it and you cheated or you didn't know it and you're not really in charge and in a position where you you should be leading this program because you should have known this. You should have known, like, how is this no guy knowing all these done. plays, right? Like, my thing is – but, Ryan, that's – but my point is, even if he didn't know, that might even be worse as far as from a Fireball fan standpoint because you're really that out of tune with what's going on in your program that you didn't know this was happening, right? 
that is a failure to lead. And either way, right. you forfeited your ability to be the leader of this football program. So fire the people involved in that regard. And and then to say, you know, like initially I'd say, man, if, if Harbaugh left out this year, you you really want to promote Sharon more. But it's like, you can't tell me he didn't know. You can't tell me that Jesse Minter didn't know. You can't tell me that. That's why I say you almost have to kind of fire the whole staff, to be honest with you. And if you're if you're really serious about it, I don't think Michigan's going to do that. But if I'm the NCAA, the best the biggest thing I can do is I can say I'm finding you a buttload of money, and and you're not yeah. going to get any revenue from TV or bowl money for the next three years. That's what you do. That's how you get them to say we're firing. Unless unless you fire everyone and remotely associated with this from your program, then we'll only fine you for one year. That's what I would do. And if they want to take you to court, take them to court and fight it. I, I, I saw a report that Sharon Moore is still in Penn State mourning the loss of Jim Harbaugh, unfortunately, for him. So That was so uh, yeah. weird. Yes. So weird. One of the weirdest post-game speeches I've ever heard in my life or post-game it interviews. It was odd. Really, really weird. Lance Hatt with the Super Chat. Thank you so much, sir. Has nothing to do with Notre Dame, but wanted to give a shout-out to Madison Kopech who played my daughter on stage in the secret garden here in South Bend in 2018 and make her and makes her Broadway debut on December 10th. Wow. Nice. Very nice. Hmm. Yeah. Who played your daughter on stage in the secret garden? That's what it says, right? I, I read that correct. I think. Yeah. 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 I don't, I'm not sure what that is, but how did she play your daughter? I'm, I'm quite, I'm kind of curious what that, uh, what that means maybe maybe oh. maybe was playing with her daughter maybe like acting with her daughter I yeah i'm know. curious what that means yeah. yeah i'm not Lance, sure what i that would means. love to hear a little bit more about that yeah though. i would love Seriously. to hear a little bit more about that yeah yeah i'm not sure about that that's sounds cool though yeah yeah that's not really cool i'm definitely not that talented so i no. i yes that's awesome i was in two plays when i was a kid ryan but it was like when we were like elementary and middle school we're in the high school yeah. plays, but we were like, cause they needed kids to be like little side characters, but like, we never like spoke or anything like that. And I was like, no, nah, this ain't for me. You know, <laughs> not... you know, I, I think, it, I think it was first grade, I believe somewhere around that ballpark. We had a little bit of a, like a musical thing. And I remember we sang, I believe I can't fly. I can, I believe I cannot fly. Right. And uh, I remember I was super into it. And then someone told me right after that, that I suck at singing and I never oh, performed again. That's sad. <laughs> That's very mean. I was but in this in this truthful also. Very truthful. We story. we had this group um the at middle school I went to we had this group it's called the Kids from Bath and we were a singing group and like we would travel like around and we ended up going to Washington DC for there was this thing that they were going to sing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial it was this big concert type of thing and um that was pretty cool. We ended up not I can't remember what happened. We ended up not singing on that, but we still sang at different venues. But yeah, once I once I hit puberty, I couldn't sing a lick. It was it was not yeah. good. But I, uh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little tone deaf. I'm a little tone deaf. Yeah, so. singing's not my thing. I sing in a shower. That's about it. That's about it. Yeah. We had a super chat from Brandon Pledsner. What's up, Brandon? Say an undefeated ACC, Big Ten and Pac-12 team all get into the college football playoff. Who's the fourth? A one-loss Big 12 champ, Texas, or a one-loss SEC champ, Bama, is head-to-head valued here? 
Well, to me, I think that's kind of an easy answer, Ryan. If 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 yeah. Florida State's undefeated, they're in. If yep. let's just say Michigan or Ohio State, the winner of that game goes undefeated, they're in. If Washington goes undefeated, they're in. Because th- those are the only yeah. Florida State and, and Washington, are the only two teams from the Pac-12 that can in the ACC can be undefeated. So it's those three teams. Right. To me, it's whoever wins the SEC title game. That that yeah. That to me would be and, the fourth. And, and in this. And this scenario, it would be a one-loss Alabama team has right. run the table and won the SEC right. championship game. Yeah, because right. you're, yeah, right. I agree. Because so for, for now, you say, well, how does Georgia drop out? Well, here's how Georgia drops out. So for Florida State to be undefeated, they have to beat Florida, so they'd have an SEC win. They'd have a comparable game. They would have the LSU win. Plus, they'd have to beat a top ten Louisville team in the ACC title game. Right. So they'll have a, a good win there. Washington would have to beat a top 10 Oregon state team and a top 10 Oregon team in a rematch. Their resume now becomes better than Georgia's who would have lost to Alabama. And then of course the big 10 team is obviously going to stay there. So I think that's the only, that's the one scenario where, where Georgia gets knocked out if their only losses in the sec title game. I think that's the scenario. I think all heck would break loose if they would, if they kept Georgia and Bama, if they kept Georgia, Two things they could do is one is they could just not have Bama in, which how do you do that if they beat Georgia and won the SEC title? But if it but to 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 keep Georgia in and Bama in over an undefeated Power Five winner that that would be um, that would cause a lot of a lot of uh, that would yeah that would not go well that would not go over well the the committee would lose a ton of credibility from people that would not go over well at all and I don't think they would do that I really don't. I don't think they would do that. So, and, and if you're and the, the Big question, Ten, you'd be pissed about that too, because you kind of want one of those other Pac-12 teams to get in because they're coming into your league next year. So you're going to have Big Ten advocates that are going to be pushing for. Hey, hold on a second, now Washington deserves this playoff berth. You know what I mean? Because right. you can sell the heck out of that next year. Hey, we had two Big Ten teams really in the playoff last year. You know what I mean? So you're going to have some advocates, not just the Pac-12 advocating for you in that circumstance. Right. But I don't think well, a one-loss Texas team gets in in any of the in any yeah. of the, the only way they get in is if Bama uh, is if um, is if one of those other teams wins. I I, I don't I don't think a one-loss Texas team gets in over a one-loss Georgia team, in my opinion. Well, and and I and I would say this is obviously the comparison's happening because Texas beat Alabama, obviously in the right. head-to-head. But I think in this scenario, you're talking about the biggest win for Texas in this scenario would be over Bama. And the right. other, and the loss they would have is against Oklahoma, who's now fallen off the pl- off the table a little bit here right. and has struggled. In Alabama's situation, your only loss is to Texas, who would be a one loss team, and you beat Georgia, right? right. Where it's like that's like you beat Georgia, game. you beat LSU, you you know you beat Tennessee. You've gotten a lot of wins, and and to your point, Oklahoma's not only fallen off; they're going to fall off even more if Texas beats them again, yeah. or if sure. te- not again, but if Texas if they lose again this time to Texas. So, look, I understand the head-to-head thing. I get that. But head-to-head can't be the ultimate tiebreaker. If another team has a significantly better resume than you do and they beat you head-to-head, you still don't deserve to be in. And, and we have we have precedent for this. We have precedent for this. So Penn State beat Ohio State in 2016 and won the Big Ten. But Ohio State still got in because their overall resume was better than Penn State's just was. So, to me... I understand, yes, Texas beat Alabama, beat them at Alabama, beat them convincingly and all that, but you still got to look at the entire resume. 
And right. and yes, the head to head was great, but your best win was over that Bama team, where Bama's best win was against Georgia. And then they would also have the win over LSU and all those other type of things. So I just, I just don't. I understand Penn State had two losses that year. What I said was the resume was better. That's part of the resume. And to me, the Big Twelve kind of falling apart this year, Ryan. Yeah, it just it's going to make it harder for Texas to have a case. Plus, Texas is now down their star running back, right? And even though. I think Texas deserves to be ranked ahead of Bama right now. I don't think that it's like I had this argument with Bill Bender the other night where he's like, I think Bama's clearly one of the four best teams in college football right now. I don't. You know, yeah, they've had a couple good weeks against teams that aren't very good, but this is still the same team that three weeks ago barely beat Arkansas, who four weeks ago barely beat Texas A&M, right? I don't think they're one of the four best teams. Um, But their resume overall would be better than Texas's if they went out. I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Bama can beat Georgia. I don't. I, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. Um, but yeah, we, we shall see. But if you're, uh, I mean, if you're Texas, I, I don't know that Texas has a path other than Oregon's got to lose twice. Like they need Oregon to lose to like Oregon state and then beat Washington. Washington. Yeah. Not, not to lose twice, but to lose before they need to pack 12 to lose twice is what I meant to say. They need Oregon to get beat by Oregon State or vice versa, Washington to lose to Oregon State and then beat Oregon, right? Because I do think a one-loss Texas team in that situation, if it comes down to Washington or Texas, I do think in that scenario, I, I don't. You tell me if you disagree, Ryan. I think Texas leaps Washington in that scenario. If if Oregon State beats Washington this week, and then Washington goes and plays Oregon in a rematch and beats Oregon again, I think the Pac-12 was out. In that Probably. scenario, yeah. and Texas would then leap in. I think that's what they more would need. More than likely. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Good question, Brandon. And I know we didn't answer that the other night. I know you had asked that the other night on the um um on the uh the, the committee show. show. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. But um yeah, there you go. That's that's right. that's how I think it all it's and that's what that's what's interesting, right? There's still a lot, there's still like eight teams right now that still have a shot to make the college football playoff if they handle business on the field. Now, most of them need help, but yeah. you know, it's going to be an interesting final two weeks plus the the, the conference title games. It's really going to be interesting. Very interesting. So Very it's going to do it. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today for a little bit of our keys to victory. Notre Dame versus Wake Forest. Got some game predictions. Got some game balls. Throughout some storylines, also hit a few super chats at the end. Before you go, if you could just hit that like button for us, make sure you hit that subscribe button and that notification bell on your way out as well. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, please, five-star reviews are very much appreciated. Leave a nice word there. would be very much appreciated from our end. Also go to boards.irishbreakdown.com. We've had some recruiting news that we kind of put an intel piece up there today. I have another one that's coming on a certain 2024 defensive tackle that is you are currently committed to the University of Georgia that Notre Dame is trying to flip. So make sure that you stay tuned there at boards at irishbreakdown.com and we'll check to you guys next time here on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.